So, in today's episode, we are going to look at the PowerPoints I shared with you um, with the title Methods of Self-Reflection by both me and Nicole. So, we used to run this as a CBD session when life was still happening in 3D and color with one another. And I thought I am going to go through this with you in case you are contemplating um, utilizing self-reflection or reflective practice as a aspect or as the center for your educational inquiry. One of the things I really like is the following quote from Winter, which says, we do not store experience as data like a computer, we story it. And uh, in another course, we are looking very closely into digital storytelling and storytelling as a tool for education. But we also make meaning in stories. So some... so. We store our memories are all told in stories. Our identities are shaped through stories. And so they've become quite, they are quite significant in our own day-to-day life. But they can also be used effectively for researching. And there's lots of different material out there um, about storytelling and storytelling and teaching in higher education. However, here in this episode, we are looking into reflection as a method. And so reflection, as we heard about in the last podcast can have different different um, aspects can be used in different ways so you have either reflection in your practice as a process or your research as a process or you can have reflection as research which would be a product in practice this would happen in for instance evaluation and innovation so the implementation of changes require evaluation which is based on reflection on experience according to kolb uh, 1984 practice expertise expertise is not simply time bound but it depend but dependent on self-regulated knowledge and learning which requires reflection which is a quote from Zimmermann 2008 so reflection in our practice can be an evaluation uh, an innovation based or it can be expertise based there are various uh, models of how you can go through reflection and um, and the um, the one model we've been kind of taking apart is to look into the process of space, story, feelings, meaning, learning, and future. And this is basically deconstructing the Gibbs reflective cycle and making it a bit more accessible. So the first part is to look at a space. So decide to consciously stop and consider what is happening at a point in time in a particular space. Then the next step is the story. So look at the details of what's happening, the description of the events. And here it can become immediately tricky for 
when you're just starting out with reflective practice because as humans our need to make sense means that instead of just observing we are immediately interpreting we are immediately judging what is happening and it's very difficult to force yourself to step back and literally just describe a scene and try to leave leave out the emotional response and the interpretations and when you can feel the interpretations coming up try to make yourself aware of those and set them aside for the moment so the first step is the space the second step is the story is literally just a description the third then is the feeling so now you've described the situation what was it like to experience this did you learn anything about yourself in that situation and the next step then is the meaning now you can fully consciously go into the interpretation so why do you think the events occurred as they did think about a wider context for instance relate the issues to theory and research search for other perspectives and then after this we are looking into the learning from that an evaluation of your performance what do you know now that you didn't at the start of the reflection so when you really think back and you really think about description feelings and then the interpretation in that process was there some learning to be had and in the last step how does this learning influence your behavior in the future so what do you need to know um what do you need to do now what do you um would you improve in your practice or continue doing if that situation rises again so this is a these are the basics of reflection and gibbs cycle um uses these phrases for these different steps slightly differently so the first one is description feelings but then evaluation analysis conclusion and action plan and um, one of the things that's really difficult is the um, to keep the description really just as a description and then the difference between evaluation and analysis where the evaluation is um good bad what are the biases in the situation and in the analysis is what sense are you actually making out of the whole experience if all of this as a reflective model sounds too complicated with all these different steps there is also Rolf's reflective model which is based on three simple questions what so what and now what and again the very first step is a pure description what happened describe it so what is then your reaction how did it feel what were you thinking and is there anything in the literature that relates to your experience and now what is the learning okay so from all of this what am i taking forward so yeah reflection can be a um quite an elaborate process and starting with reflective writing can be quite challenging and when you begin with reflective writing it can sound a little bit like my big fat teenage diary and um, one of the things i usually say if people begin with reflective writing and you've never done it before i'd say 
go through it in stages. So first, let it all out. Because if we are writing about something particular, if it's something we have a strong emotional response to, the writing can be quite intensive and biased and tunnel visioned and emotional and the language not appropriate for academic writing. However, if you get it all out of your system and onto symbolic paper or actual paper, then it enables you to then go back and use writing as an iterative process and say, okay, now if I think about that situation, start from scratch, what happened? You know, I was a sunny day, I was wearing my trainers, I was walking down the street and just step by step, see the scene with your mental eye, describe the scene and after that go, okay, describe a conversation and interaction and then start with interpreting and then going, oh, this is how I reacted. This is what they said. This is what it made me feel. Why did that make me feel this way? This is strange. So quite often we can respond emotionally uh, stressed to something that has nothing really to do with what the person said, but how we perceive what someone has said or what our expectations were of an interaction. And that can bias very much so how we interpret a situation. So for practitioners in education, where much is learned through action and reflection, accidental ethnography offers a methodological approach for rigorous reflective research by frontline practitioners who have traditionally had difficulty finding time to make rigorous contributions to the discipline. That is a quote from Leviton 2017 and I really really like that, um, particularly the, the notion of accidental ethnography, which means you're you're basically you're starting to write down your observations you're starting to write down your feelings and that is actually part of what an ethnographer would do particularly also the descriptive parts ethnographers spend a lot of time describing a situation and the elements that make a situation from the spaces to the actors to the interactions that's that are happening and so i i really understand I think where Leviton get that, gets that notion from that reflective practice can be can make you into an accidental ethnographer. One of the things that is actually quite tricky is there is a difference between reflection, reflexive, and practical. And as Nicole has um, demonstrated in the handout earlier, practical based on Heidegger's um, description argues or praxis as Heidegger argues proposes that we do not come to know the world theoretical through contemplative knowledge in the first instance rather we come to know the world theoretically only after we have come to understand it through handling that is considered practical reflexive is reflection that leads to a personal change so a two-way street so we are not just reflecting on something but we are acting on it and so when we talk about reflexive and reflexive practice we mean that we are reflecting on our practice but that this reflection then leads to actual changes 
in how we do something while reflection um, is questioning and exploring an issue but not necessarily with the with the object of leading to change it is about questioning and thinking about something but not necessarily changing behavior based on that reflection so in terms of a research process um the reflections could could take the shape of a research journal a methodological journal or analytical memos as um, nicole described under grounded theory and but it can also reflections can also happen in other forms of text and what i mean by other forms of text is that they can they can be written as poetry or they can come out in a sketch note or in a collage or in even in art because it can be quite challenging to give words to these reflections and sometimes we need to we need to begin with more visceral activities to to give these reflections and these experiences shape um yeah so the um, the other way of, or other examples would be free writing spontaneous journaling reflection and action notes autoethnographic field notes analytical memos retrospective narratives and diary entries so reflective practice is a way of undertaking scholarship of learning and teaching so reflective practice is where we are using these reflections and a learning from them as a process but also as the output the next step up from that to to make it more research-like and actually that is the the boundary between something where you don't need an ad uh, an ethical approval and something where you need an ethical approval the next step is autoethnography so for reflective practice papers you don't need ethics approvals which was really useful for then um when there couldn't be any any ethics assessments during the first lockdown and students on the MED had to had to change what they were doing and they were changing into pieces of reflective practice where they couldn't use actual data but they could still talk about their thought processes their analysis of situations of material in their work so that next step and the boundary towards what we now would consider research is autoethnography Methodologically, autoethnography is both a process, so the doing of autoethnography, and a product, so the outcome of doing autoethnography, according to Boland, 2018. When, a researchers, when researchers do autoethnography, they retrospectively and selectively write about epiphanies that stem from or are made possible by being part of a culture and or by possessing a particular cultural identity, according to Alice 2011. Um, so, and what happens is in autoethnography, the reflective writing we spoke about 
at the beginning of of this little podcast becomes your data so in reflective praxis the reflective writing is linked with literature and with critical thought and you are joining your arguments with what you are getting from the literature and join that together in a scholarship publication in autoethnography these reflections actually become data they become the basis for your research which you then use and analyze and you know when we were talking earlier on about how to code data and how to develop themes and theories out of data this is what you're doing with your reflective writing in a piece of autoethnography so your own experience is becoming the data and you are analyzing it in relationship to um to culture to sociological concepts to theories to to other work that's out there in the area and you're be and you're creating a bigger picture or you're contributing to a bigger picture with that piece of work and this is also why this can be can be valuable because if you imagine that um different different educators in higher education from across the whole world write autoethnographies and write their experiences about their local cultures and their institutions these systems and these structures and we can bring and they all build um and they all are part of a bigger picture of autoethnography and then you can read these different autoethnographies and you get a better understanding of how different lived experiences within different cultural contexts are and by the way that sounds also like a really interesting meta analysis to do but that would be for a different blog because we're already at 17 minutes